Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we just want to thank everyone for sharing part of your evening with us. And this is our next to the last televised show that we're going to be broadcasting from TV20. And it seems like the closer it gets, the more difficult uh, it is to wrap my mind around that it's coming to a close. Um, I'd like to introduce our co-host Earl Erskine and thank you for being here. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and you you also are winding down, yes. not only as co-host here, but your own show. Right. How are you dealing we're with a, it? <laughs> well, we're a taped show, so it makes a little bit of a difference. We're, we, we were always taped and not live, so there's no call-in, but uh, yeah, we'll be just on the internet after, after July 1st. So. After July 1st. Yeah, and and yeah. that's when the new programming begins on right. TV20 is, yeah. is July 1st. Well, um, anyway, it's been great to be here. And uh, next week will be our final show. And we do have a couple of special guests that we will have on the show next week. Announcement before we get started on our message for tonight. Uh, the Christian Churches of Brigham City are hosting their sixth annual Church in the Park of 2015. And it's going to be on Sunday, June 28th, beginning at 10.30 a.m. And there's going to be great fun and music and worship and fellowship and games and food and people and a great sermon and also a great sp speaker to give that sermon. There's lots and lots of people who will be there from different Christian churches in the area. And you are welcome to come as well. It doesn't matter uh, what church you're going to right now now you're welcome to come and join the fun in the park that's going to be June 28th at 10:30 a.m. in Brigham City Church in the Park I've been to that a couple of times it's it's really fun and this is their Very sixth nice. annual yeah. they, they've been doing it for good turnout yeah. it's always in a lot of shade it'll mm -hmm. be warm usually and yeah. but lots of shade and a lot of good food and a lot of new people and to a good meet sermon. Old yeah. friends and yeah. new friends yes. to make yeah. well that's great so bring a friend and come on up <laughs> You know, on May 7th, in response to so many folks who suggested that we talk about what we believe instead of what others believe, we completed part two of a series of what we believe, but we didn't have time to finish all that we had prepared. And since we only have tonight and next week on this station to tie up all our loose ends, we decided that we would finish that series on what we believe and finish up some information on biblical polygamy tonight as well, if we have time. So tonight, we'll begin first with part three of what we believe. Last time, we covered the prophets and apostles, and tonight we're going to discuss what we believe about the priesthood. Joseph Smith used the Bible as his authority for a priesthood, and so we are using the Bible to find right. the truth about the priesthood about what it says. <laughs> that we're going to talk about tonight. The first and only argument that we really need is that according to the Bible that Joseph Smith said the priesthood came from, only Levites could serve in priesthood capacity, and only Aaron and his sons could serve as high priests ministering in the temple. We have several proof texts for this, and we'll begin with Numbers chapter 18. 
but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary must be put to death. Now this was God speaking to Aaron. Yes. And anyone that wasn't a Levite serving as a priest, God threatened with death. That's, That's right. pretty serious stuff. That is. And, and it shows that he was serious about this. Well, let's go to Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary must be put to death again. So we have it again. <laughs> yes. Only those from Aaron's line can serve as priests in the temple. Now let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31, where there's someone comes that does what he shouldn't have done. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. Now only the Levites were authorized to be the priests, but Jeroboam, he, he becomes the, the king of the northern tribes, and he started appointing people from all the tribes, all the different tribes that weren't Levites, and God called that a great sin. Let's read 1 Kings 13. A little further on it says, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. This was the <laughs> sin. It says specifically yeah. the sin of Jeroboam was appointing people who were not from the Levites, yeah. just anybody, into the priesthood. So that was a great sin. God takes this seriously. In fact, he completely wiped it off the face of the earth. He doesn't give his restrictions in vain. Let's look at some more in 1 Kings 15. Right. He did <coughs> evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of Jeroboam and his sin which he had caused Israel to commit. And so, as God promised, he removed him from his presence, as we read in 2 Kings chapter 17. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets. So this is obviously a very serious business like with it. God. Yeah. And Joseph Smith repeated the sin of Jeroboam. Now, viewers have asked what we believe. Well. We believe in the biblical teachings of God's priesthood. We believe in the biblical teaching also of the royal priesthood as explained in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2.9. And that priesthood is bestowed upon all biblical Christians, male and female alike. Now the power and the authority of this royal priesthood is the privilege of approaching God's throne of grace through no person and no church, but just through Jesus Christ. It is also to proclaim the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ who is King of Kings. Jesus is royalty of royalty, and this gospel is the only power to save. Romans chapter 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So the, the authority of the royal priesthood is to proclaim this gospel. gospel, the yes. only thing that has the power to save. If God's gospel is the power to save, then we need nothing else. We need no one else, and we certainly don't need any other priesthood. 
No other message, no entity, no organization, Jesus in his gospel is our authority and complete and exclusive trust and faith in Jesus alone for eternal life. That is the only priesthood for humans that God recognizes in these last days. And of course, the high priesthood who is Jesus is our only high priest. That's right. This was one of the really big things when I was transitioning out. I had never thought about this before, that Joseph Smith was not an, from the tribe of Levi. And yet here John the Baptist was giving him the Levitical priesthood. He never would have done that. He should never, would never have done he that. He wouldn't have done that. No. No. And then I also never realized that the Aaronic priesthood and Melchizedek priesthood as phrases are not in the Book of Mormon. Mm -mm. I don't even think they're in the Bible, actually. Maybe the Not, that, not those phrases, priest. that's true. But they're just not in the Book of Mormon. It's just interesting that we yeah. uh, we just so pick and choose things to, yeah, to, to rationalize what we, be, what we believe. And pick in. something and then make something out of it yeah, that's not even that there. there. Yeah. And then to summarize the royal priesthood as well is that we talk to people about God and we talk to God about people. Yeah. asking him to open up their minds and their hearts to believe this only gospel that saves. Okay. Our next point that we want to make is the pre-existence. Uh, we've talked about it many times in the past, so we're not going to spend a ton of time right. on it tonight. But we would like to make one point before we go on to the next topic, and that is that someone made the remark that Mormonism scoffs at the Christian belief of the Trinity. Yeah. In yeah. fact, one of their arguments is you can't even find the word Trinity in the Bible. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is used by them as a proof text for their teaching of three levels of heaven. Used wrong, one of those ones right. where they applied right. it totally wrong. Right. But one of the levels of heaven they call the telestial level. But the word telestial is not in the Bible. No. And, and, and it's not in the Book of Mormon either. No, it isn't. So if we're wrong using the word Trinity because it's not in the Bible, why aren't they wrong using the word Telestial because it's not in the Bible? Surely we can use the same judgment. Yeah, that's true. Very logical. <laughs> at least the Trinity is word, and at least it's in a dictionary. But you go to Webster's 1913 dictionary, going back further, closer to Joseph Smith's time, the word Telestial didn't even exist. The Trinity, the word Trinity existed. Does, yeah. yeah, it's in the 1913 dictionary. And it describes a biblical fact. The word telestial describes a Mormon myth and has absolutely no biblical basis at all. So we believe what the Bible teaches, one heaven and one hell. Yeah. Now, we have an interesting one, too, that we have kind <coughs> of covered a little bit in the past, but tonight a little bit more information because uh, certain of our viewers have asked us to talk about it, and that is <coughs> proof of the Book of Mormon in uh, the Old Testament. We're going to begin with the stick of Ezekiel and what it is when it's taken in context. We've received a lot of emails about that as being solid proof that the Book of Mormon was predicted right. in the Bible and given yeah. by God. But the Book of Mormon has been proved to be a work of fiction. It's been proven already. There's not even any educated discussions on that anymore because it's a fraud. It's not true. It's a fictional novel that has shadows and footprints of 19th century origin. References from Revelation chapter 14, Isaiah 29, and the stick of Ezekiel in chapter 37 are often quoted to us that the Book of Mormon was predicted in the Old Testament. So, regarding the stick of Joseph in Ezekiel, we spent part of a show in the past. Yeah. Well, let's go into a little more detail tonight, bringing into context the discussion. <laughs> this is from Ezekiel 37. 
Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, Ephraim's stick, belonging to Joseph and all the house of Israel associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your countrymen ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to, the Judah, to Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Now, how does Mormonism interpret these verses? Well, they're associating the stick of Judah with the Bible and the stick of Joseph with the Book of Mormon. And so the, their, their explanation is, is that God is saying that we're going to take the Bible and the Book of Mormon and bring them in together and they will become one in my hand mm -hmm. or one in thy hand. Okay, so that's what they're saying. Right. Now, we're going to put it in context. <laughs> um, the continuation, now this is a conversation that God was having with Ezekiel. God was speaking to Ezekiel, telling him what this was all about. And verses, the verses that you read, um, are have been stopped right in the middle of God's conversation. They yeah. just stopped it right in the middle of the conversation, pulled it out of what he was saying, and the rest of what God said to Ezekiel is totally ignored. So we're going to bring it back together, and that's called putting it in context, and we're going to start with verse 18. When your countrymen ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am going to take the stick of Judah, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on, and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. And they have been divided into the northern and the southern kingdoms. Right, and the tribe of jo Joseph, Ephraim, was typically the called the northern, mm -hmm. the house of Israel, and the lower one was the Judah. The tribe of Judah. Tribe of Judah. And they had been taken away into uh, Babylon, and Ezekiel was a prophet in Babylon and was given this promise that one day his nation would jo be joined together, that the northern, the southern, mm -hmm. these, and they would be gathered from the ends of the earth and right. become one nation. One nation again, Nothing and that's exactly <laughs> what yeah. it's saying. Now, this isn't a matter of interpretation, folks. It's not your version, uh, interpretation versus ours or someone else's. It's fully a matter of context. And we don't get to cut and paste the Bible. We don't get to manipulate what God has said. It has nothing to do with the Book of Mormon, but has everything to do with the nation of Israel in the land of Israel. Yeah. Context is a huge factor in determining interpretation. We cannot argue with context in a book or conversation, and certainly not in the Bible. Well, the, the rule of context is This important. was definitely one of the scriptures I used on, on my mission. This was one that we used to prove the Book of Mormon, as I said. And you never went beyond that verse, though, to well, see what... Well, we didn't even actually get down as far as we read the first time. We stopped at like 16 or 17. But um, 
when I started making this transition, I started looking at all those missionary scriptures that I used to use out of the Bible and tried to put them in context. And I was just really blown away. Mm. Once you put them in context, what they what they really mean. Yeah, and it, it, you don't have to go, well, that's your interpretation and no. that's mine because it, in, it, it says it's very clear. you'll become one nation. What it means, yeah. yes, exactly. Now, Isaiah 29 and 11 has been used also by yeah. some of our viewers yeah. that describes words on a scroll that people can't read. So let's read Isaiah 29 11. Everybody will know this. And the vision of all has become one unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot. For it is sealed. So that means the Book of Mormon is going to come as a sealed. Yeah. The interesting thing about the way this reads is that you're, it's delivered to a learned man who, who says, well, I can't read it because it's sealed. And yet the story with Martin Harris is that this learned man actually gives him a paper that, that tells him that he was able to read it enough to be able to say that it was authentic. Mm. So he, even even the scripture that's taken out of context is twisted, twisted. enough mm -hmm. to make it seem like it's appropriate for the Book of Mormon. It's and another thing I have about this is the Book of Mormon, when Joseph Smith claimed that he, did, he didn't take him from a, a sealed scroll. He took him from, no. he says he took him from gold, gold plates, plates. That's right. not a sealed scroll. And since Joseph Smith didn't even translate from gold plates, but he put his face in a hat and read from a rock, to produce the Book of Mormon, he said, or the yeah. historical says, right. it's even more evidence that the sealed scroll cannot possibly be referring to the future Book of Mormon. One particular viewer categorically denies that Joseph Smith di dictated the Book of Mormon by putting his face in a hat and reading words that appeared on a rock. But that's precisely what happened. And even though the LDS Church has previously denied it, they are now finally yes. admitting that yes. that is what Joseph Smith did what he called translated was actually inspired yeah. uh, from different sources like a rock uh, rather than actual translation, translation translation of the plates. Sometimes the plates weren't even in the room. That's right. Yeah. And they were always covered. Yeah. They, nobody actually saw them with their with their physical eyes. And Joseph Smith always used the word translate or translated or yeah. translating. That's he didn't right. use inspired. No. He used translated. So that's the uh, their reasoning, of course, with the Book of Abraham Papyrus, too, because it's nothing like he said it was. Now, we have to remember as we're talking about these things, we're not just talking to Mormons. We're talking right. to polygamists because yeah. they, they use the, the Book of thing. Mormon. Yeah. And Joseph Smith is also their prophet. Yeah. And my salvation and your salvation is determined not on a man who reads words from a rock, but on God who became a man and died on the cross for our sins. And many of our critics have referred to Revelation 14, and this was new to me. It was never used as I was growing really? up. Really? Oh, so, this so is another one. That this was one that, that I didn't understand why they were using this to prove Mormonism is true. But let's look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Again, we've had many people use this yeah. to try and prove their their. And rather than right. looking at promises to Israel and, uh, anyway... Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, we have to remember, this is the book of Revelation. Yeah. Okay. A book predicting the future end of the age not a past apostasy or restoration. 
Now notice this gospel, this angel is uh, proclaiming the eternal gospel. Eternal means forever. It doesn't mean lost and then found. It, it was never lost or corrupted. It's eternal. And eternal means forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and yeah. ever and forever. I mean, that's what eternal means. Yeah. So again, the context is the key um, in verse, uh, as we go into this with verse 7, which explains the coming future event of God's judgment. Yes upon the earth, further contextual proof of a future, not a past event. Now it has nothing to do with Mormonism or polygamy groups or past apostasy or future missionary work, but has everything to do with future judgment. But Earl, who is that angel supposed to be in, in, in Mormonism, what you were taught? what I was taught, that's Angel Moroni. It was Angel Moroni, right. and he's proclaiming the Mormon gospel, is that what it is? I guess so. When is he proclaiming it? Late, a hundred years ago, 200 years from now, when? Only proclaiming the way I looked at it was him presenting this to Joseph Smith and to uh, and oh, then with the for coming forth of the Book of Mormon. He was the last author of the Book of Mormon. His dad had uh, done the tra uh, transcribing of it and he finished it off and yeah. so he was the one that brought it forward and that's why he's on the temples. Hmm. He's proclaiming, he's the angel with the horn okay. proclaiming. What's interesting too about this revelation is that there are many angels coming and f with the promises that God has for, for, the, for the last days. And so this is just happens to be one, and it sounds like it's possible that it's Moroni. But, this but, is, but, but it can't be because there's no, no. Moroni in the Bible, for one no, thing. No. And um, it's talking about Israel. It's yes. talking about the land of Israel, not Salt Lake. And yes. Zion is in Israel, not Salt Lake. That's right. And it's talking about a future event, not, not something that... No, talking um, about a restoration. Not talking about a restoration or right. past apostasy. So we can't really say <laughs> at all. It has absolutely... No, context, context. Read the entire chapter verse of chapter 14, yeah. and you'll see the context absolutely cannot contain the Book of Mormon prediction no. or the gospel restored. Another uh, point that we want to get to is baptism for the dead. There's only one passage in the entire Bible that mentions baptism for the dead. We don't believe in baptizing for the dead, and we're going to explain why. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 is the proof verse, right, that, right, that, that you that use. That we use all the time. Why are they then baptized for the dead, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? So we didn't just use verse 29, we also use verse 30. Yeah. Okay, and the ver that's very important because in verse 29, the pronoun they is used. Uh, they, he says why they are baptizing for the dead. And then the next verse or the next phrase says we, we referencing Christians. So they and we are identifying two different groups of yeah. people. Never taught <laughs> as, a, as an ordinance or a principle. It's not in the Book of Mormon either. It's not no, in the Book no. of Mormon at all. It's not in the Bible. Baptizing for the dead is not a Christian practice or ordinance, and it never was. It's something that they, these, these other people did, but not something that we Christians are to do. It's never been commanded or taught anywhere. Yeah. And in fact, Joseph Smith translation in his Bible never changed these verses, nor did in any part of his Bible did he ever insert a teaching 
to baptize for the dead. And Jesus never talked about it. Uh, or oh, yeah, he, never uh, talked it's actually necromancy, and that's, <laughs> uh, that's condemned in the Bible. Yeah. But we've got another part of baptizing for the dead that we are going to accompany. It accompanies baptism, baptizing for the dead, which is prohibited by God. We'll start with 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Oh my, oh. endless genealogies. Yeah. Now that accompanies baptizing for the dead, right? Yes, it certainly does. That's part of the... That, in fact, that's the first step when you find a yeah. person's name is you baptize for them. And God didn't prohibit that just once. No. prohibited it again. Endless genealogy. Right. And Titus 3.9 also says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Now, the very important fact is that Joseph Smith's version of the Bible never changed these verses. Yeah. So why do they do it? Jesus said, Those on the side of the truth listen to him. So why are prohibited practices embraced by this culture? In the same Bible that they use, that Joseph Smith used to justify polygamy, yeah, they right. are ignoring when it condemns genealogy and polygamy and these other things. <clears throat> we have a viewer that frequently yeah. quoted Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And you know what? I never could tell if she was mocking us or if she was trying to make this sound Mormon. I really have no idea. But we're going to use these verses to express what we believe because these verses, again, are not up for interpretation and we don't cut and paste. We read what it says because it's very clear. And I've said, as I've said before jokingly, this was not underlined in my missionary bi uh, <laughs> Bible and I never quoted it ever in, uh, on my mission or my really anywhere else. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So we have these verses. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Not by That's works. categorically not by works. Otherwise, we boast. Yeah, otherwise yeah. we would. We'd say, well, I got in heaven because I did this. And, you know, everybody would go around doing that because that's what we do. The little phrase that struck me is, you owe me. Yeah. God. I, I put God in my debt. Yep. And you owe me. That's what my mother taught. Is God it really? owes. God owes. Oh when goodness. we suffer polygamy and these other things to God get to heaven, you. God owes us when we die. I, oh, I, I know. I know. <laughs> now, now, you know, I want to point out that the word saved is in these. And I know yeah. I, I've talked to polygamists and Mormons both that don't like that word saved, right. but it's used all through the New Testament. Jesus used it a lot and it's all through the New Testament. So we do use it because that's what God used. She also frequently used John 14, 6. Yeah, let's read that. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is how we're saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. through him. Not through the Mormon church, mm -hmm. not through polygamy, not or through sacrifice, not dead. through baptizing, no. not through the temple works and tithing, no. nothing. Just yeah. Jesus alone, yeah. all by himself. And these two passages, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and John 14, 6, effectively neutralize all that Joseph Smith taught. 
They're just gone through in these verses. Grace rules out works and ordinances of any kind. Grace rules out patriarchal priesthood, polygamy, restoration, endowments, word of wisdom. All these requirements must be rejected in the doctrine of grace. Since Jesus alone is the way, through grace alone, no religious works can be allowed. No church or polygamy group can mediate Jesus to anyone or go above him to mediate people into heaven. And any church that claims this kind of authority is playing with the fire of God. So that kind of wraps up what, it really does, what we believe. Read it in context. Read, out, read all the scriptures you're comfortable with in Mormonism and the Bible. I know they don't trust the Bible so well. I don't know about, I guess polygamists don't have a, a great trust of the Bible either. Oh, no. No. Mm -mm, no. But read them in context and try to, try to realize that there's more there than... And we're just plucking out. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. Now, the <coughs> most of the polygamists will do the same. They'll pick verses out of context and use it to prove and justify polygamy, yeah, like they do Abraham and Sarah and yeah. Jacob and all that. But they don't read the whole thing to find out why they were living polygamy. And what it really meant. Yeah, and what, and what it, it really, really meant. Yeah. yeah, so we need to, uh, it's a mid-show break now, so okay. we need to open up the telephone lines and we invite our callers to call in. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 801-973-8820, uh, 973-TV20 is what it is. And for our mid-show break, I just want to talk again about our transition. Uh, next Thursday, like we've said, will be our last televised show from from TV20. But we will continue to broadcast our shows on the internet as we've talked about. You can go to our website for information about how to prepare so that you can continue to watch our shows on your television set, just like you do now. Now, some of our viewers have already done this using Roku, and they've written back to us or, or emailed us and told us how much they love it. Our Roku channel has now been made public, which means that you can now find it directly from your Roku device. You don't have to go to the website. All you have to do is go to search and type out the program name, Polygamy, What Love Is This? And since there aren't very many programs having to do with polygamy, you really just need the, to type in the first few words, P-O-L-Y-G, I think worked for Scott, and and the, the channel should just pop right up, and then you can just add it to your channels and once you have the program on your list of channels you'll have easy access to all the shows all the time our, our new program is listed under the categories of new or and also religious of uh, the religious section you go to our website whatloveisthis.tv for more information how to uh, make your television set um, so that you can watch our shows just like you do now other devices like Chromecast will also work well enough, but we found the Roku system just makes sense and it's the easiest for most people um, and it's really uncomplicated. And your program, the Ex-Mormon Files, yes. is also... Scott's getting that worked up to where it'll, it will become public as well. I might just mention that I did go in and found out that there's something called a Roku Stick mm -hmm. and then a Roku 1, 2, and 3. And they're all different price between 39 and 89. And Scott Johnson, our... Um, our very good helper uh -huh. tells me that the stick works just fine. So okay. I don't know if it's okay to advertise like oh. this, but well, anyway, you know. the, the stick works just fine, and it was the cheapest at like thirty-nine dollars, and so it's it's not a big expense to. Uh, uh -huh. to get these channels. Yeah, that's that's not bad. All you need is Wi-Fi in your home. So if you have any questions, maybe you have a son or a daughter or a nephew get or a, ten -year -old a to neighbor. Help you. <laughs> yeah, a 10-year-old who knows his, 
<laughs> it's electronics and you can get it done. It's very, very simple. Uh, we've had a lot of people who've called and, and just so upset because yeah. our show will, won't be on our television any longer. And we're very, very sorry for that. There's, it's beyond our, totally beyond our control. Um, but we're trusting God that he has some wonderful things planned. So and other people that need to, to hear the message in a different mm -hmm. way, we guess. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we had more that we wanted to cover on um, biblical polygamy. I don't think we're going to get to okay. that tonight. We might have to do that on, a, on a, one of the Internet shows. But before we get to our calls, we have one call in already. But before we get to that call, I do want to share this next email with you. We received a lot of responses from our show, the last show that we did with Lynn Wilder on sexual abuse in Utah. And, of course, we've already mentioned that. Um, but sexual, it just proves that sexual abuse in Utah still a problem and it's of huge proportions and it continues to be hidden and swept under the patriarchal priesthood rug so to speak um, and as time allows we want to share a couple of responses from that show I have an email that you're going to read and then an answer that was given by someone else not me but it's a precious answer and I wanted to share with our viewers what kind of airhead do you have talking about Mormon child's statute of limitations on child abuse? That told me she was no expert on the matter. What's the national abuse percentages in other states or religions? Are people perfect? Does the faith you represent have non-sinners? Why don't you channel your energy on something else worthwhile? You both sound so stupid on this episode. I feel so sorry for your hatred of others. Well, this, this is typical of our critics, and, and you know, we, we kind of expect that to happen. But notice the tone of his email as he wrote this. And the answer was uh, brilliantly and appropriately given yeah. by Scott Johnson, who is our ministry diplomat. And this is the way he answered it, and I quote, Thanks for your note, but I believe you are completely missing the point. The issue is not that there is no child abuse outside of Utah. The point is, there is ample empirical reasons to believe that the religious system that is predominant in Utah is conducive to child sex abuse and, more to the point, abuse cover-up. At no point did we insinuate that this doesn't occur elsewhere. You will find this same dynamic in any highly regimented, controlling, and patriarchal religious system, not just Mormonism. However, the fact that we have such a textbook case of this in Utah makes the statistics all the more meaningful and relevant. Are you saying then that channeling energy to combat child abuse is not worthwhile? Are you saying that sexual abuse of children is not a problem worth addressing? Are you saying it's more important to protect the reputation of priesthood holding abusers than to protect their innocent victims? Believe me, what we do is not done out of hatred. And I challenge you to go back and find any instance of a hateful statement in this episode. Are we outraged at evil? Yes. But any individual with a shred of moral decency should feel this. But hatred? No. Besides, do you honestly not see the hypocrisy of your statement? Quote, I feel sorry for your hatred of others, which is immediately preceded by, you both sound so stupid. <laughs> So is that a double standard that yeah. they're using to criticize us with? It, it sounds like it. And 
obviously they're not totally maybe ignoring the fact that there's child abuse, but it, it does. I thought Scott's answer was just uh, was right, right, on this, uh, right on spot. It was very good, yeah. and, and, the, and there was no hatred in our show. We didn't, we didn't lash out to anybody. We brought the truth, we brought the statistics, and, and they just speak for themselves. Well, I probably should, should or shouldn't mention this, but there was a situation once that I was involved in that uh, when I was conducting a court or part of a court, and, and the family was just so resistant about sharing what had happened to, to anyone else. Mm. They were just, they didn't want, they wanted to cover it up. Mm. So I know from personal experience it does do you think part of this is because they want to project that perfect image, that persona to everybody else? That well, the, they, they, that love, perfect they love the individual in, in individuals involved, and uh, their plea to, the, to us as the leaders was uh, we don't want to involve the authorities. We, we, it's hmm. in the past. We just want to move on. And mm -hmm. It's probably something that uh, happens more frequently just because, they, again, they, they want to cover it up. Yeah. And, well, according, they according don't want to the statistics to that we've and the emails I've gotten just by themselves, yeah. that happens. Yeah, and I think the church much. now, at least the mainstream church, has come out with more specific requirements than than I probably and had back important. when. But um, to to be to involve legal authorities. Yeah, but yeah that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, we do have a couple of phone calls <coughs> coming in right now. We have on line one Paul from Kearns. Hello, Paul. Uh, hi, hi, Doris. Hi, Earl. Hi. I have two questions. Uh, how, how come Nephi and Lehi aren't given credit for discovering America instead of Columbus if they came here first? <laughs> well, no, that's a great question. Do, do you well, as Mormons didn't write <laughs> history, so I guess that, uh, you know, it's kind of funny you say it that way, and I think we may have mentioned this before, but there's more evidence that the Vikings dropped by North America than there is for a thousand years worth of millions of Nephites and Lehi uh, Lamanites on the American continent. So it's. I, I think the answer is that Nephi and Lehi never came here. I think that's true. <laughs> no, that's it's, it's, it's fiction. Yeah. But it, anyway, uh, oh. I have another question. Uh, uh, it's about Joseph Smith with his face in the hat that the church says that's how he translated the place. Well, how, how is it that there are there are dozens of places in the Book of Mormon that are plagiarized from the Bible. How could he do that with his looking at a rock with his face in the hat? That's a good question too. Uh, we we know the answer to that, but how could he do it? Did God repeat Himself in that rock as He stared at it and got the words? You know, I no, I I don't think so. I, I I'll tell you what I think. I I think that's how he didn't translate the Book of Mormon. I I think it was all a conspiracy. And this was all done beforehand, and all he had to do was, was read what those other helpers of his came up with. Well, the Book of Mormon has, like I said at the beginning, footprints of 19th century origin. So that's yeah. easy to understand. That could happen uh, that way. It's, it's, it's so phony to me. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just want to say that, that I was truly miss you and, and your show. <laughs> hey, uh, there's another uh, program that comes at 9 o'clock every day on, on TV20, and it's gone over to Channel 14. Could you do that? Go over to Channel 14. That's probably a national program. Is that Todd Friel or something? I don't know, but uh, it probably it's the one with the dove uh, on on the podium. Uh, the uh, the guy that comes at nine o'clock every every it's week. It's probably not local programming, and all the local programming will be gone. Well, yeah. I just wondered if that was a possibility yeah. that you guys could switch over to fourteen. Mm. But anyway, uh, 
I deeply appreciate your program and love you guys very much. Thanks. Thank you. Paul. Thanks, appreciate Paul, for it. calling and for your comments. My pleasure. Thank mm -hmm. you. Bye. Okay, we have line three, Wayne calling from Cottonwood Heights. Hello, Wayne. Hello, Doris. Hello, you're on the air. I have two, a uh, question with two parts, and this is in reference to the baptism for the dead. Okay. How much credence is there for the fact that are they baptizing them into the Mormon church at that point? And my outlook on it is should we be concerned about getting their names off the roll in the case of family? You mean the ones they baptized for the dead? Yeah, I don't think they put them on the church rolls. They're not part of the 15, 16 million. No, they They're not baptized into the Mormon church. It's strictly having been commissioned of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. So it, they're not baptized into the church. But they're baptized the so that they'll have a chance to choose, right? The assumption is is that they, yes, they, they have to accept the eternal gospel. They have to eventually get through the temple and accept the priesthood and and uh, accept the gospel, uh, accept mm -hmm. their baptism and so on. So baptizing yeah. is just giving them a chance rather right. than anything else. But they're not particularly specifically sp becoming members of the Mormon church as mm -hmm. a baptism okay. for the dead. Did you have another question, Wayne? Did that answer your question? Well, that answers that and uh, the problem that we've had with uh, the Jewish people yeah. being very concerned about their names being on that yeah. role. Yeah. Yeah. And that that answers my question very well. Okay. Well, thank you, you for calling. Have a day and thank you very much for your program. I'm going to follow wherever I can with you, but right. I don't have the internet. Oh, dear. Well, if you can get the internet and Wi-Fi, then you can follow us. Otherwise, it might be a little difficult. <laughs> thank you for Thanks, calling. Wayne. Thank you. Uh -huh. Bye. Okay, we have on line two, Neva calling from Tooele. Hello, Neva. Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, this, uh, I am uh, praying for you, and I've been praying for you since I first heard about you being on the air. Thank you. I've got um, 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 a brother and a sister that's in the Mormon church, and and I've been praying that they come out of the Mormon church, but they are stubborn and they say they're in, they're in there for truth. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's very difficult when we have loved ones who believe it because they do believe it. They believe it just as strong as anybody believes anything. Yeah, they, she just, my sister tries to get me to believe what she teaches, uh, the church teaches, and I said, no, that's not in the Bible. I don't believe it. <laughs> but I I keep praying for her, uh, too, and my brother, and, and asking the Lord to mm -hmm. open their eyes. Uh -huh. but of course, mm -hmm. they're both older than I am, and I'm in my 80s. Oh, my. <laughs> so. Well, God's, uh, God's not restrained like we are, so just keep on praying. And thank you so much for calling in. Okay. Thank you. I'm glad you are. We're going to miss you on this show because I've tried to turn you in, in every week. Sometimes I forget. 
Well, we appreciate you I've enjoyed your show. Great. We're glad Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Neva. Bye. Okay, we have line one, Gordon from Woods Cross. Hello, Gordon. You need to turn your volume down on your television set. Gordon. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. You need to turn your television set volume down. Well, you're not talking loud. I can't hardly hear you. <laughs> you're on the air, Gordon. What did you, what's your question? <clears throat> I like your program. Why don't you give me a call sometime? I'm in the phone book. I'd like to talk with you. Why don't you leave your telephone number with a with our uh, operator that talked to you when you called in, and I can call you back. Okay. If it's about the topics of the show. <laughs> yeah. If it's not about the topics of the show, I won't call you back. Okay. Thank you. You know, I wanted to mention just real quickly, when, when Paul, I think, was talking about the Book of Mormon containing so much of the Bible, I, it's funny how I rationalized that. I kept thinking, well, Joseph Smith uh, started in on what he recognized as Isaiah or whatever he was quoting, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and then he just went, I just, it was funny, I th thought, well, he's probably just gone to the King James Version and, uh, and just copied it into the text, you know, or that's what he read off. And so it made sense to me that it was there. The one thing I never really thought about that that the King James Version has whatever errors or yes. differences or translation considerations in there, mm -hmm. italicized words. I didn't know anything about that before I came out of the church. And so for him to have copied and as inspired, copying the King James Version ver word for word was just... Uh, I mean, that's the way we thought it was that's translated, was right. word for word, and yet it included these translation or translators. Their uh, little quirks that they did. Yeah, their yeah. little thoughts on whether it should be this word or that word. So And the funny. italicized words. Yeah, which, the, which, and sure another thing are. about the King James Version is it's in Shakespearean English. Yes. <laughs> it, it's not in, in, um, in any other kind of language but Shakespeare and that was what they talked yeah. that was their language in and those I don't day. think Mormon and Moroni uh, no. actually knew the Shakespearean language at all and I've talked to people and they say well that's the language of God the thee and the thou you know it sounds so holy and pretty but really that's not the language no. of God but in fact I if anything he probably spoke <laughs> Hebrew but it wasn't the Greek or the Hebrew or mm. the Aramaic back right. when yeah. right that's exactly fun. right that's funny when you think about it, it logically and objectively it, it does kind of fall apart. It's mm -hmm. kind of silly. And you know, there's, th there's, there's doctrines in the Book of Mormon like um, the devil says that if you die without repentance, or the, the Book of Mormon says that the devil will keep you from repenting and if you die without repenting, uh, repentance, the devil will claim you as his for eternity. Well, that's eternal, that's eternity in hell with the devil. Yeah. It doesn't say you get a second chance. It doesn't like say the baptism you, for the dead thing you're right, saying. Right, exactly. In fact, it says now is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Exactly. Now is the time for men to perform their labors. So, right. Yeah, right. it's... Uh, it, it's strange how yeah. uh, how all of that that's in the Book of Mormon. There's so many conflicts you know, of, of logic and theology. A lot of conflicts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
we wanted to talk about a little, we don't have a whole bunch of time left, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the biblical polygamy. So let's go up to um, Jacob and Esau. We've talked a lot about um, Sarah and Abraham in, in shows in the past, and so we're not going to do on that, but we will briefly talk about Jacob and Esau. Um, in Genesis 26, we read that Esau, uh, and they say, by the way, Joseph Smith said Isaac had was a polygamist and he wasn't. Right, but his twin sons, Jacob and Esau, both of them were polygamists. And in Genesis 26, you can read the story of Esau. He took two wives, which grieved his parents. Yeah. He took, he was a polygamist and his parents were grieved over it. So uh, you can't say polygamy <laughs> is, is condoned in the Bible. And it would be nice if more parents were grieved over their children's polygamy. And then in Genesis 28, Esau takes a third wife. So of course that little nugget is something that we need to pay attention to. But then we look at Esau's sex life, which seems to be his polygamy according to what the Bible tells. But Hebrews chapter 12 verse 16 gives us a little bit of information information. Yeah, As the Bible explains itself, yeah. we get to learn a little bit about Esau's polygamy. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So he's a fornicator. Sounds like it. Now the word fornicator means sexually immoral. So we learn that Esau was sexually immoral and the Bible records his sex life as being a polygamist. So living polygamy is fornication according to God's Word. You can't use the Bible to, to justify polygamy when all through it, from end to end, cover to cover, um, there is nothing but bad and negative <laughs> said about it. And God doesn't have a double standard. He's not going to call Esau a fornicator and then tell somebody else that he's a good guy and a holy guy for doing the same thing that he called fornication. God doesn't show favoritism. And because the Bible gives an accurate account of what people do, does not open the door for us to do those same things. Um, and, and I think people say, well, they were so blessed. You know, Abraham was blessed and Jacob was blessed. Uh, so they must have been okay because they were prophets of God. Well, just because God blesses people who disobey his commands does not indicate that God is condoning the disobedience. It does teach us that God is patient and merciful. He shows kindness to all of us who deserve it. And he, of course, that scripture tells us that that's the kind of a God he is. Let's read Romans 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.15. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? And bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. So the difference between these men that God called righteous who took multiple wives and those like Esau who God called evil that took multiple wives is an eternity changing word called repentance. And God displays his patience with every sinner on this yeah. planet every day. Every one of us are sinners. Thank goodness. <laughs> and I, yes, thank goodness, thank God. Yeah. And he wants us all to repent and come to our senses and repent. But many never do. If we repent the biblical way, we will receive forgiveness, cleansing, and mercy and the gift of eternal life. And if if we don't repent God's way, there's no forgiveness and eternal life will not be ours. Um, but you know what? Esau was blessed. Yeah. Even though that he, even God, though God said that he was blessed, he had good health, he was prosperous, and so was Cain. Yeah. But they didn't repent of their evil. Right. So we can't really say just because someone was blessed that what their life was, uh, God blesses everybody, whether your life is showing 
holiness or not at times. Okay, on line two, we have Ralph from Salt Lake City. Hello, Ralph. Hello. I've got my TV on mute, uh, so uh, it shouldn't be a distraction. Question yes. is uh, that uh, despite your efforts and the things that are coming out about the church on the Internet, uh, and even the church admitting things uh, that are coming out in gospel topics, you know, the, the uh, Rev. Joseph Smith looking into a hat and so on, um, but the church seems to be doing so well. They're building all these temples throughout the world, and uh, they built a conference center, and they got City Creek and all that, and it seems to be rich. Um, you'd think that uh, would have more of an impact on membership and therefore income. What do you think about all that? Well, it has had an impact on membership. They, they tell about all of their prosperousness, but they don't tell about the people who are leaving out the back door, and they are leaving by, um, by crowds, by hundreds, yeah. for sure. Uh, but they have they have a lot of money behind them. They own a lot of property. They own a lot of businesses. They get a lot of tithing. So um, it, it'll take a, something more than that to <laughs> to make that go away. Do you have something you want to say about that? No. Well, I also I, I've commented to Elvia's friends from my observations that most people I know who pay tithing are consumed with worries about money. You know, if you take a person who makes four or five. Has to pay four, five, six hundred dollars a month in tithing. That's a lot of money, out of, and they worry about about paying the bills mm -hmm. and car payments and house payments and things yeah. for the kids. It's. Uh, I was asked recently from someone who doesn't know my status if I went to the temple. I said, Oh no, it's too expensive for me. <laughs> well, what's what's well, interesting, Ralph, and this goes with the polygamy groups. They go work. They go more than ten percent. I mean, they go a lot more than ten percent, and so it it economically hurts them even more so than it does the LDS Church. But the interesting thing about tithe is it's an Old Testament word. It's not a New Testament word. The New Testament teaches that if we can give to give from the heart, those who give from what they have, we don't give from what we don't have, and so therefore there is there we just give according to the way God lays it on our heart, there's, there's no compunction for uh, the New Testament Christian to give. We are not required to give. Tithing is not fire insurance. Absolutely not. It's not tithing that gets us to heaven. It's Jesus. Right, right. Yeah. Be well, I giver. appreciate your comments. Cheerful I've enjoyed giver. the show, and I will be following you. Well, I've already bought my Roku device. Oh, good. So thank you very much Great. for what you've done. You bet. Nice. Thank you so much. Okay, we've only got a couple more minutes left, so we'll, uh, we won't be able to take your call. And if you want to leave your number with the operator, we would be happy to give you a call back. And we thank our callers who have called in tonight. Again, this is, uh, this is kind of hard to bring this into our final comments. With I know. Our next to the yeah. last show. Yeah, it is. It's, it's <laughs> been interesting. It's been great. It's been a, 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 an adventure to me, something yeah. that I was just scared to death to do. And, and God has really worked a lot of things. I've made a lot of friends, good friends, and seen people turn from Joseph Smith to Jesus. And yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a joy. Yeah, and who would who would have guessed that uh, that it could happen to, yeah. to some people that uh, that they would see the light, see the truth, and yeah. and actually be affected by by the truth. Mm -hmm. So yeah. 
yeah, be affected yeah. Thank through, you for what through you've something done. like this. <laughs> and thank you very much for being here. Next week we have a special show planned uh, just to be grateful to the community and to those who have helped us so very much. And my closing comments tonight, of course, is talking about our next show next week. will be our last television broadcast on TV20, and we do look forward to the adventure of God's future plans for us and for this ministry. My desire has always been to provide to my polygamous family and loved ones and to other polygamists biblical truths that completely neutralize polygamy as having any credence with God, that he does not require it, that he has never commanded it, and living polygamy does not boost anyone's chances to get into heaven. Joseph Smith picked up on the devil's strategy when he charged that the Bible had been mistranslated, that it couldn't be trusted, but that he could be trusted. He never provided one bit of evidence to prove his accusations, yet unaccountable people believe him anyway. And this is precisely what the serpent did in his conversation with Eve in the Garden of Eden, asking her the question, did God really say? <clears throat> well, the question was designed to cause Eve to doubt the trustworthiness and accuracy of what God had said. Joseph Smith used Satan's own scheme and brought it to new heights, deceiving millions of people since he first accused God of being careless with his word. <clears throat> Although many of our loved ones have not yet given up the lie to embrace the truth, we are encouraged because there have been many who have given up on Joseph Smith and embraced Jesus Christ instead. And that's what it's all about. That's what we do. That's why we do what we do. And we want polygamous viewers to understand that polygamy is categorically a false doctrine. God, love is perfect and polygamy can never illustrate or demonstrate God's love. And we'll see you next week for our final TV 20 program, Polygamy, What Love Is This? This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you.